Well, I want to invite you to turn uh, your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, if you brought your Bibles, Ephesians is about a fourth of the way back in the Bible. And if you didn't, if you want to use one of the black Bibles there in the seat rack near you, we invite you to follow along as we walk through this letter to the Ephesians. And if you're using the black Bible, it's on page 816. And we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 32 today. And I'm actually going to read chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, which Steve will also pick up more next week. But I want to talk about this idea of put off, put on. This is our third week of looking at this practice. And the reason why we're spending time doing this is because here's the good news of the Christian life. You and I can change. God says that you and I can actually change. The fatalism of this world that says everything's determined, we'll always do the same things, we can never change, is not true. The Bible says we can, but we need to understand how God works that change in us and how we uh, cooperate with him in that change so that when we get disheartened or discouraged or overwhelmed because it doesn't seem like much changing, we still can keep walking. I want to talk about that today. So if you're following along in the notes, let me just mention a couple things to set this up before we look at this passage. This is kind of a little review. We've been learning that as we let God renew our minds, as we let God renew our minds, then we put off the old self and put on the new self. And um, we saw a couple weeks ago that Paul used this image in verses 17 through 24 about dressing ourselves, about putting clothes on, putting clothes off. And that, that's something that every parent is responsible to teach their kids. It's part of growing up. If I never learned to dress myself, then I haven't learned to completely grow up, have I? But the other thing about clothes is that they're every day. I mean, unless you live in a unique part of the world, they're part of your everyday life. And they're part of your everyday life no matter how old you get. And so some of us go, well, I'm more sophisticated now, so I don't have to do that anymore. No, it's just part of everyday life no matter what our age is, even with the Lord. And so sometimes we say to ourselves, shouldn't I be past this now? Well, no, this is part of the everyday life. So that's part of what he's teaching us. But notice that what we saw that first week, two weeks ago, is that when he uses this phrase, put off your old self, put on your new self, that there's a bridge in verse 23 of chapter 4 that says, be renewed or be made new in the spirit or the attitude of your minds. Now, what's that mean? What's the spirit or the attitude of our minds? It's the governing principle that affects our thoughts. And what helped me, I I shared that day, is that it's our imagination. The reason why so many people never change is because they see it as morality. They see it as changing my external behavior, but never being changed on the inside. What Christ does is he transforms our thinking. And he does it by not just telling us all the right thoughts to have, but by capturing our imagination. Friends, the imagination is the movie theater of your mind. And I don't know what's playing there. I don't know what you invite and let in to fill your mind and capture your imagination. But one of the reasons why we meditate on God's words every day, if we do, we challenge every person to be in God's word every day, is because the more that we meditate and ask the Lord 
to make impressions on the imaginations of our mind of who we were and who we can be now in Christ, who we are new in Christ, it begins to give us this power to put off and put on. Now, just because we know this doesn't mean necessarily that we operate this way. So Steve showed us last week that Paul goes on and gives us very specific examples, areas of our lives that now can be different if we will follow Christ when it comes to lying. Our old self used to be okay with lying. Now, our new self, we need to put that off and say, that is not what God made me to be, a liar. He made me to be a truth teller. God did not make me to be a person that goes around in unjust, unrighteous anger all the time. Now he he brought me to be a person that brings grace and peace. God did not make me to be a person that steals any longer. But now he wants to teach me how to do something honorable with my hands, have honorable labor, and also have something to share with other people rather than use my hands to steal and rob and take. And so this whole idea is expanded there. And he told a story at the beginning of his message that I found quite helpful. Maybe you've heard it. If you haven't, he gave every person, by the way, a piece of string so that we'd remember. I don't know if you've looked at yours. I looked at mine this week. And the piece of string reminded him of a story where someone had captured a bunch of small quail, the little birds there, and had tied a string to their feet uh, and tied it to a pole so that these little quail were in a marketplace where a man saw them, and he went there, and when the man saw that this other guy had tied up these quail, he said, how much will it cost to set those quail free? Because you see, the quail were just walking in this circle around this pole. They were just, they were just doing the same thing all the time because they couldn't, they weren't free. He said, how much would it cost? What price do I need to pay? And he paid the price, and then he said to the guy that had captured these quail, he said, now cut the string and set them free. Interesting thing happened once he did that. The quail, still for a while, kept walking in a circle. So when he tried to shoo them so that they would fly, they flew for a little bit, but they quickly landed on the ground and again repeated that same circle. Why? Because they were still in their imaginations convinced that's who they were. Christ comes and says, look, I know it's going to take a process of unlearning this. But that is not what you are anymore. That's what you were. I'm going to teach you to put it off and I'm going to teach you to put on who I've made you to be, your new identity in Christ. So that's why this is so important. But here's another reason why, if you're following along, why do we need to put off our old self and put on the new self that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness? Why here? Because our old self is being corrupted. You might want to underline that word corrupted. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. And our new self is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This idea is that we really can be more like God is than like we were in the way we interact with people. And so today, we're going to talk about two examples of how we put off grave clothes and how we put on grace clothes and these i'm telling you friends this message was like in my face all week long and you might say what a bummer jeff actually i'm so glad it was in my face because it showed me what my life can be even when i fall short see there's still a lot of times i still walk in a circle 
This isn't until we're glorified with God in heaven through what Jesus did, we're still going to be learning these lessons and growing in Christ-like character. And some of us go, man, I wish we didn't have to do that. You can look at it that way, or you can say, what an opportunity to learn these things, even when it's challenging, even when it seems discouraging at moments. There is hope because my life is headed somewhere. God has made me new in Christ, and I want to learn all I can about that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. You see the two areas that he talks about in these verses? Unwholesome talk and every form of malice. How do we put off unwholesome talk and every form of malice, and what do we replace it with? What do we put on in its place? We're going to talk about that. Would you pray with me before we look at this passage? Now, God, I really do pray that you would teach us, train us how to live the Christian life so that when we're miles from this building, that our imaginations will still be captured with what you intended for us when you died on the cross, rose again, ascended to heaven, and sent your Holy Spirit. We praise your name, God. We're so glad we get to live the Christian life. And for any who are here that don't yet know you, I pray that you'll draw them to yourself, that they too can enjoy this life that you've invited us into. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read verses 29 through 32, and I've listed it in the gray boxes there so we can read it all off together, and then I'll read verse, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. By the way, after we read the first gray box, I'll read the rest of that sentence after the dot, 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 and then I'll invite us to read 31 and 32 out loud together, all right? Let's hear God's word. Let's read together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, it says this, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, now let's look at verses 31 and 32 in that next gray box. Would you read with me? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then it goes on, verse 1, chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The very first area he talks about in verse 29 is let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, some of us hear that and we immediately hear, oh, Christian life means I've got to be perfect now. Because I let some unwholesome talk come out of my mouth even this morning. Me too. Even this week. What does that mean? First of all, it does mean aim to not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but it also means don't let unwholesome talk keep coming out of your mouth without addressing it. Don't be okay with it anymore. Don't excuse it. Don't minimize it. Don't say, oh, well. Don't stubbornly defend it. Don't let that happen. You have a choice about the words that come out of your mouth and make a decision that that's the way your old self operated, and now you want to live in the newness of life. So what's unwholesome mean? Unwholesome. 
If you're following along, here's what it literally means. It means rotting words that infect. Rotting words that infect. It was used of rotten fruit. It was used of fish that's decomposing. It's this idea of something breaking down, going backwards, being pulled down. And so uh, I, I may have told you this before, but this was very graphic for me when I was in high school. My brother and I um, worked at Gromer Supermarket in Elgin, Illinois, just outside Chicago, and no longer exists anymore, but man, was it a great job in high school. And it was a thriving grocery store at that time, and they had a produce department that was really hopping. Both my brother and I worked in the produce department. That meant we worked with the perishable fruits and vegetables. We were responsible to wrap them, to stock them on shelves, put them out so people could purchase them. And one of the things about perishable food is that it very easily can start to spoil. You know what I'm talking about. So because we're not eating anything right now, can I show you a couple pictures? Okay, here you go. Here's the first one. Do you see this peach? I took this a few weeks ago knowing I was going to talk about this. So you notice the peach there is mostly healthy. But there's this stuff, this rotting stuff on the left side there that's starting. It's brown and white, and it's just starting to decay that peach. Now, let's just say we go, oh, poor peach. I'll just leave it. What if you don't deal with spew? You know, that kind of stuff. What if you don't do it? Here's what happens. It just gets worse. Now, I just used the word spew. I want you to remember it long after you leave here today, because here's what happened. My brother... I still remember this. We, he would sometimes go in and he'd be pulling out crates or he'd be, you know, going into the cooler and all of a sudden I'd hear this. Ooh! Spew! Man, I've never forgotten that. <laughs> and you know those pictures? That's spew. So I want us all to say it. Ooh! Spew! You know what? What the, what the Lord's trying to teach us is, look, Whenever you think about unwholesome talk, your spew meter should go off. You are all of a sudden now into bringing decay, something rotting, something spoiling, something ruining, something wrecking into conversation. You used to be okay with that. In fact, you almost took pride in how you could deliver some lines. You used to feel great about that sometimes if it got a laugh. That's no longer, no longer you. Stop walking in that same circle. Now, do not let that kind of stuff come out of your mouths without addressing it anymore. Wow, I'm telling you what, this really got to me. When I was a kid, I saw a man in our church who had been an incredible swearer, I mean cusser. This guy, his sons were great big football players. This guy was a great big guy. And so he just filled the air with blue on a regular basis. He came to know Christ. You know what he did? He said, I am no longer going to let that happen without doing something about it. So he said to each one of his boys, he said, you hear me swear, I'll pay you a quarter. This is the 1970s. Now it'd be a dollar. I'll pay you a quarter. Those guys saw that their dad meant business. He wasn't just trying to be moral. They knew that Jesus Christ had affected him. And he says, I don't want, I don't want to keep going like this anymore. Now, I will tell you that one of, the, one of the guys told me later, one of his sons told me that they each had a 32-ounce steak with the money that they earned from their dad swearing. <laughs> the point is, it's a, it can be a battle. But so what are some examples of unwholesome talk? 
Well, as we're going to see in chapter 5, it is coarse joking. It is off-color jokes. It is profanity, swearing. It is complaining, gossip, cutdowns, criticism, discouraging words, mean words. Whenever you and I say those kind of things, and we live in a culture that is proud of opinionating, and sometimes we opinionate, we go, oh, I think I could have done better. That was terrible and stuff like that. Now, in case you think I'm talking about someone else, a few weeks ago, when the Cardinals were in first place, <laughs> and I am happy for all you Cub fans, I truly am. I was over at my dad's house, we're both Cardinal fans, and he, I, was, I have this habit of yelling at the TV. I don't know if you do. It's something that Christ is telling me is not to be part of my new life, but, but I've noticed it still. So one night, I'm just giving my opinions about the players. <laughs> and my dad stops and goes, do you realize how critical you're sounding? And that made me so mad that I got up and walked out of the house and said, fine then. I got home and realized that he was absolutely right. That I was filling the room that he was sitting in with spew. I was so proud of my analysis. (laughs) But it was spew. And he was right to call me out. And later I texted him and said, you were right to call that out on me. It's not who I'm supposed to be anymore. Thanks for, thanks for having the courage to show that to me, and I want to apologize to you. I'm sorry, and I don't want to talk like that. Catch me doing that again. Call it out again. See? This is different. Now, notice this, is that Jesus says our heart and our words, if you're following along, are linked. Our heart and our words are linked. Sometimes we say something and go, well, that's not really me. Jesus says, every word that comes out of your mouth is you. Unless you deal with it. It's coming from your heart. Therefore, we may be embarrassed and say, I didn't mean for you to know what was really in my heart. That's what we mean. So look what Jesus says, Matthew 12, 34. It says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say, Jesus says. He says, you and I will be held accountable for every careless word we utter. Therefore, he's challenging us, aim high. Do not continue to be okay with this kind of stuff in your life. Take responsibility in a good way. Be a person of character and aim high with me. Now, notice what else. This verse says that our words must no longer tear down, but build up if you're following along. Our words must no longer tear down, but build up. I don't know when you were reading that in the first gray box there. You notice in the sec- at the end of the second line, it says that it may benefit those who listen. Do you know what the word literally is? That it may grace those who listen. In other words, <clears throat> you and I every day have a choice of whether or not we spread spew or we spread Grace. We spread grave clothes or grace clothes is what we choose to put on. And you and I have that opportunity. Have you ever thought about your imagination being captured? What if you became a person that spread grace wherever you went? You know what grace is? It's undeserved favor. You know why you can spread grace if you're a follower of Christ? Because he spread grace to you instead of spew. You want to talk about somebody that could spread spew on us. Man, God 
He has plenty on us if he wanted to, but instead, he spread grace on us in Christ. Therefore, he says, come on. If you want to be more like God in your character and join him in what he's doing in the world, spread grace instead of spew. And I would say that this is maybe one of the biggest differences that's most noticeable to me is that my family would say that before Christ, I was like cut down king. I was sarcastic to a fault in a way that was always trying to capitalize on other people's weaknesses. Come on, Jeff. And the Lord, I saw, was calling me to something different. So now, like, even when we sing songs that bless the Lord, praise the Lord, isn't it great? We're spreading wholesome words, bring, words that bring wholeness, words that bring truth and life and blessing. And you, you and I can do that. What a privilege. And I think of some of the sewage that's gone over my mouth and now some of the beauty that can go over my mouth. I want to be like that, don't you? And so that's what he's calling us to. And let me just say, I created a phrase a number of years ago. Maybe it's been shared somewhere before, but I want to be a church that spreads Christian gossip. You know the difference? Regular gossip spreads bad stuff about people behind their backs. You know what Christian gossip does? It spreads good stuff. It's saying good stuff about people behind their backs. What if we did that regularly? Go, you know, I just really appreciate their heart. Man, I really appreciate when I saw them do that. I heard someone the other day say that they really were built up by something you did for them. You see what I'm saying? Let's spread that kind of stuff because that's the vision. That's our imagination being captured in a different way. That's what he wants for us. Now, we come to this verse, interesting verse. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit if you're following along. And notice in the notes that I've actually got it separated there a little bit between unwholesome talk and every form of malice. It's interesting to me that as we go along, God doesn't just say, now don't do that anymore because it's wrong. No. He says, don't do it anymore because you not only understand who you are now in Christ, but also just understand some of the effects, different things you have. So like when you and I lie and steal and all that, we saw last week, we give the devil a foothold in our anger. You know, he says, Here's one of the reasons you don't want to do it. You don't want to give the devil a foothold again to influence your life like that and have that kind of power over you, do you? But here's this week. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, way back in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says this. You need to know that when God graces your life, he not only adopts you, chooses you, gives you an inheritance, but he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit's not an it. He's not a force. He's invisible, but he is God, the Holy Spirit. He now can live, and he dwells in your life if you have been born again. The Holy Spirit now lives in your life. Now look at this. Do we have John 14, verse 26 there on the screen? Now here's what Jesus said the night before he was crucified. He was so pumped to tell his disciples about the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, some translations say the helper, the comforter, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. In other words, he's going to live in your life. He's going to teach you how to live the Christian life. He's going to remind you of the things you forget so, because you'll start walking in circles again. And he is for you. 
And then the Bible tells us that one of the things God does is he gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a deposit, guaranteeing our future is sealed. Therefore, you don't ever have to worry about losing your salvation once you're born again as a Christian. The Holy Spirit has sealed you for the day of redemption. It is a lock. So some of us go, well, where's the motivation to obey God then? If I'm automatically saved, I'll just, you know, do a swan dive in the cesspool of sin. No, no. Now you realize you have a relationship. This isn't a duty. This is a relationship. And so the Holy Spirit, so this verse is saying, don't hurt the helper. Don't cause the comforter who comes into your life discomfort. Don't work against, don't discourage the encourager in your life. Love him. Understand that he loves you. He's for you. Do you really want to do that to him? And when we think of the word grieve, what do you think of? A lot of people say the first word that comes to their mind is sad. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. He cares about you. By the way, the word grieve, you cannot grieve someone who does not care about you. They won't, they won't expend the energy because they don't give a rip about you. Holy Spirit loves you. That's why he says, don't keep going that way. Because it'll not only decay your life, it'll decay other people's lives, and it will hurt me. You don't want to do that, do you? Come on. And I love the Holy Spirit calling us forward. But notice it goes on and says, put off every form of malice. That's what it says in verse 31 and 32. What's malice? If you're following along, it means harboring ill will towards someone. Malice was something that Abraham Lincoln talked about in 1865 in his second inaugural address. I love this line. He said, with malice toward none and with charity for all. What a great line he called the United States to. Instead of being malicious, means you have an ill intent towards someone. Now you can actually live a different way. You say, well, Jeff, wait a second, wait. This world's messy. You know, some people have really hurt me. Some people have violated me. Some people have damaged me. I don't want in any way to be naive about that. But here's what I want you to understand. If you don't handle malice, it'll spread. And it'll wreck you. It'll spoil the good things God has for you and for me. Notice it goes on and says this. Here's different forms of malice. It means all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. The Bible here is calling us to clean house, to let God clean house and to work with him to clean house so that we don't hold on to that kind of stuff. And boy, is it tempting to hold on to that kind of stuff. Sometimes it makes us feel powerful. Sometimes it makes us feel like we can make somebody else pay. But instead, what does it do? It eats us alive on the inside, and it does not ultimately make us bigger people. It makes us smaller people. And so look at what Hebrews 12, 15 says. Watch out. The no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. There's that idea again. Notice it's not just something you say, well, I can be bitter all by myself. It won't affect anybody else. Always affects more than one person. Anybody around you, if you're bitter, I guarantee you, whether you're aware of it or not, you are corrupting other people. And you may say, well, it's not even my fault. I was violated. 
Friends, I, I know, but what you do with how you were treated, you can do it a different way now. Christ calls us to a different way. You say, well, how? Well, notice that in part of the answer is not only getting rid of all these, are you willing to let go of them? Are you willing to part with them? Or have they gotten so comfortable in your life you can't picture life without them? Or is his imagination helping you picture instead to be kind and compassionate? That word compassionate, if you're following along, get rid of these, be kind and compassionate. That word compassionate means tender-hearted. I don't know about you, but when I am filled with malice, my heart gets harder. My heart gets infected and swollen, and it is not a pretty thing at all. And so, therefore, this idea of being tender-hearted means that God can actually keep our hearts melted and more soft and malleable and teachable and leadable, correctable. It's a powerful thing when you see a human being with a heart like that. And so, what I, what I want you to see here is this, is that with his help, you and I can actually do this different. But how do we let our minds be renewed so that can happen? I'll just tell you what happened to me a number of years ago when I was studying this passage. I was taken to a moment with Jesus on the cross. Luke's gospel talks about this, so do a couple of the other gospels. When they're pounding the nails into Jesus' hands and feet, and remember why Jesus was there, for the sin of the whole world. He was innocent. We were guilty. When they're pounding those into Jesus' hands and feet, I don't know about you, my reaction would have been total out of control, anger, swearing, just letting, just spewing on anybody near me. Instead, what do we see Jesus do? As they're doing that, from his lips, the soldiers hear these incredible words, Father, forgive them, for they do not realize what they are doing. Two things came about as I let the Lord renew my mind across the ticker of my mind, maybe this will be helpful to you. The first is, is that I'm called to bless instead of curse. 1 Peter 3.9 talks about this. It says, do not return evil for evil, insult for insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You've been called to be a blesser. You used to be a curser. You've been called to be a person that spreads grace, not bitterness. And so Jesus shows that incredible example that you and I have a choice when, we have it, when we're filled with bitterness is that we don't have to go that way anymore. We can bless instead of curse. But the second thing is when he said, for they do not know what they are doing, it, it suddenly made me realize he had mercy on them because he realized that sometimes people do things out of blindness. Say, well, I think they knew exactly what they're doing. But here's what that did. When I thought about that passage, I had this thought go through my mind about several situations where I was ticked. The Lord said, Jeff, is it possible that there is more about this person and this situation than you realize? And once I was willing to wrestle with that question and admit, of course there is a possibility, suddenly mercy and grace started flowing in my heart, and I realized that I had the opportunity to look at them the same way God looked at me, and that I could pray that they might know good instead of evil 
that they might know his forgiving, releasing power rather than what I wanted to give them. And all of a sudden, I noticed that my heart was becoming bigger, not smaller. All of a sudden, I was set free to bless. It was supernatural power that happens when you and I begin to do that. Is it mechanical at first? Sure. But you can say, Lord, I want to get there. I'm not there yet, but I want to move in that direction. I'm going to begin to pray blessing. I'm going to, in my imagination, I'm going to begin to think about the best version of them instead of the worst version all the time. Show me, God. Show me. Show me. And that leads to this next line. If you're following along, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't know if you've ever come to the place where you've realized what you were like apart from grace. But when I was 15, it wasn't the last time, but it certainly was the most profound time in my life up to that point. God let me see the spew in my heart. And it was ugly. And he showed me that the spew was not the last word that God wanted to have. In place of spew, he wanted to give me amazing grace. And yesterday morning, I got out of my bed. And I started the day, and I said, oh God, I'm going to review in my mind now what you've done. I'm going to remember what you've done for me. You saved me by grace. I am now your workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus that you've prepared beforehand, that I should walk in them today. And when I stumble, and when I go back to walking in a circle... Help me. Help me. See what can be with you. It's changing my life. And it can change your life and mine too. But I want to tell you a story as we put these two together. And then I want to talk about how you and I can practice this this week. Trish and I, back a number of years ago, were at a conference. And we heard a speaker there. His name was Wes Brown. And he was talking in a room full of Christians, and he was talking very helpfully about the Christian life. But in the middle of the talk, or fairly early on in the talk, he said something evidently offhanded. And he said it about a certain group of Christians that we all knew something about, and he said it really sarcastically and kind of condescendingly, but I only know that now because I didn't catch it when it happened. When that happened, he did something I'd never witnessed before. He went, stop. And when he put his hand up like that, a look of pain came across his face. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And he said, what I just said made the Holy Spirit very uncomfortable. And what I just said was not uplifting about those brothers and sisters in Christ. Please forgive me for infecting you with that kind of thought. And then he said, God, help me. Dead silence. He waited a few moments, and then he went on. I don't remember a word he said that night, but I will never forget that. Because he trained me in put off 
mind. Put on. So let me just kind of unpack what I saw there. And you may want to write this in the back of your notes. And I, if I was just to unpack what I saw happen, like, for instance, when you walk out of here today, what if unwholesome talk comes out of your mouth? And my guess is, if you're like me, it probably will at some point this next week or in the next few weeks. What, what, do, you, what do you do? What if you're dealing with bitterness or what if you're dealing with some kind of slander, some kind of form of malice? <clears throat> well, notice here. What happened to Wes is at first he became aware. That's the first word, aware. And the question is, is how do you, how do you become aware? Well, I became aware when my dad looked across me and said, do you realize how critical you are? Sometimes it's across the tick of our mind. Sometimes something will just all of a sudden, we'll hear ourselves and we'll go, what? What do you do once you become aware? What happens once you and I become aware is huge. What I've learned about myself is that sometimes when I become aware, I dig my heels in. I become more stubborn or become apathetic. I go, oh, well. Or I just stay stuck on being embarrassed. All those things are possible. But what happened that night is that this guy, the very next thing he did was he stopped and admitted what happened. So that's the second word, admit. To stop and say, you know what? I just spread spew. And he called it what it was. He said, that was not helpful at all. And I infected you. But then I could tell that what was driving that was not shame and guilt. What was driving that was grace. What was driving that was all of a sudden he remembered, I wasn't made. I wasn't made to do this. That's what I used to be. Now I don't have to keep going like this. Now I can handle this situation differently than I used to. I used to keep going. Now I remember that I am a dearly loved child of God, that Christ loves me so much that he gave himself as a sacrifice for me to know a different life, that the Holy Spirit now lives in me to help me, to point me, to lead me, to remind me, and he remembered that. And that enabled him to do the next thing, and that's to repair. You know, when he became aware of it, he just said, you know what? I wronged you. I wronged you. I wronged you. He repaired it. He didn't beat himself up. He goes, ah, I'm just terrible. He just repaired it. And then he did this next thing, number five, move forward. Friends, it was beautiful. And because he had done that, he could keep walking in the way of Christ until one day, Wes Brown and you and me will be made perfect with Christ. Can't wait for that day. How about you? but he's growing our character and this is the way he changes us. And let me just tell you this, the watching world will see it like I saw it that night and it will fire people's imaginations to see what could be. And that's why you and I want to deal with any spew in our lives. Not so we're just being moral, but because that's not who we are anymore in Christ. He's made us to be new and to spread grace. So here's the last question. Is there any spew I need to put off so I can put on the new? Is there any spew, S-P-E-W, I need to put off so I can put on the new? One of my buddies was saying, so I can put on the new this week. 
spew and you. But the idea here is to spread grace instead of spew. So let's just close our Bibles. Let's bow our heads. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to talk to us. And here's how I want you to think about it. While we've been thinking about these verses together, is there a person? Is there a situation at home, at school, at work, in a friendship, in the neighborhood? Is there anything that he's been bringing to mind not to condemn you, but to free you? And how you respond to what the Holy Spirit shows you can either be life-giving or it can keep you the same. Let him speak to you.